0: I think it's going to rain and then it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. So you and I are here today. Yes. We are thrilled, not thrilled, to sort of change up the trajectory of this podcast so we had initially created this podcast. We wanted to tell our story, but we also wanted this to be a platform for others to tell their story. We found through the cancer journey that there were other stories out there, and we were finding hope in their stories. The, you know, those other Wilms Tumor Warriors, we wanted to know, did they survive? What were their treatment plans, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So in light of that, Mom and I are sort of taking this podcast by the horns. And offering this platform to other families affected by cancer for them to tell their story and for others to find hope in what comes after your loved one has passed. So mom and I are going to be taking this over from here on out. Jess may still join as a guest, you know, to pop in and hear her story, you know, if we have specific topics, but I think we've already covered about 10, 11 hours worth of stuff of our story. And it's plenty. And I'm sure we will continue to tell our story through others' stories. And we can pop in and share what we might resonate with with other stories as well. But we are thrilled but not thrilled to be having guests on other families who can share their story and you can hear from them, you know, if your loved one had similar cancer or if in the timeline of grief that you're in that same place and there's other things that folks will say that you will resonate with. This is the whole point of this. We want this to be something that people can use as a resource. And we had mentioned this before that we know we are not the only family out there. So for us to be able to have a platform ourselves to get our story out there, I'm already hearing that our story has resonated with other people. It's so, true. It's amazing. Yeah. So we're gonna hear from folks starting today. That's nice.
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous about why? it. why. Well,
0: because everything makes me
1: cry. <laughs> it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. I'm, I'm gonna cry too. I'm glad you got too. the tissues out. I know because I know. I'm just like. Oh.
0: And the story I think that we're going to start off with is pretty recent. It's going to be a recent one. It's going to be a tough one. But that doesn't mean, you know, all of them are going to be like that. It, we just happened to have the first one who was interested in sharing her story that contacted us and was like, hey, I'd like to tell my story. Be something recent. And what I will share with her that I will appreciate from her story is that she's had to do it through COVID. Oh, that's true. brings that's a completely a, yes, different layer. it's a layer. Whole
1: different, Yeah. It's somewhat similar, but not exactly. The similarity is only because we had to isolate the baby also. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it was just because of the germies. Right. And that's basically, that's what COVID is, is some virus that Yeah. you surely don't want to have to be going through that as well as battling.
0: This is just yeah. an awful time period. But... Unprecedented, for mm-hmm. sure. But then adding the layer of... everybody else's real potential germies versus just the common cold which also could kill someone with immunocompromised. With COVID though we also realize (laughs) that the time we are in and those who may be affected by cancer may not have all the resources available because of COVID so everything is going to be in this sort of remote environment virtual environment and what better way in this remote environment to not feel alone by hearing these stories like you don't That's have true. to go to a support group and be present in a support group to hear these stories which i think was difficult for us because even when you know outside of or pre covid it was difficult to find other families that experienced what we experienced yes and so i think that in this environment and this platform we have to get stories out there it's most important now Because you might not have a support group to go to. You might not have the resources where you are. And this is sort of like a a virtual, unofficial support group for you so that you can hear other stories and have those stories resonate with what's going on with you. And you don't feel alone, even though we are isolated, even though we are quarantined. That's the whole point of this is we want to reach the masses as much as we can so that you guys know you're not alone. You're not alone in this. And that's really, you know, what influenced us and what drives us is we want to do this for you guys. We want to bring people on, resources, other families, so that you can have this at your fingertips. And it's not something you're struggling to find because, you know, it's not offered in your area or whatnot.
1: It was hard, I think, when we were going through it all. It's everybody is on their own journey. So it's hard to try to find somebody that's willing when they're still battling like we're battling to help us. It was hard to find someone that could give us an idea of what to expect because they're going through it themselves right. at the moment. Right. And then afterwards, because they're in the middle of their grief, they couldn't help us get ready for it because they're struggling with their grief. Exactly. So it was very, very hard. We had a couple people that actually came over once the baby was on hospice. There was a couple of people that had already lost their children come
0: over. So there were resources available through, I don't know if it was her hospice care or whatnot. They came to the house to offer support to sort of prepare the family for the loss, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. these people had recently, because it was recent for them, right? They right. had recently experienced a loss and it was their hope to bring other mothers other families over to the house and sort of guide you in that process like what to look for and you know what to expect through it and really just serve as a resource for our family because we don't know what to yeah, expect we, we have right. no idea what's going on how awful right oh it was heartbreaking
1: for them as well as for right. us. i couldn't yeah. do it it's almost like yeah okay thank you very much and then i'm trying to show him the door and I couldn't. (laughs) Yeah, It was like, oh, I couldn't do it fast enough.
0: Right. In light of that, the whole point of this really is to just preface from, you know, from this point forward, we're going to be offering families affected by childhood cancer. Go to our webpage. There's a page there that says podcast guests. Go fill out that form. Let us know if you want to share your story. I 100% believe in shared experience. And if we can hear your story and we can, you know, get you on here and have you record your story... It's not only going to leave like a legacy for you and your story and your lost loved one, but it's also going to offer hope and support virtually for other families that are going through this. So without further ado, I'm not excited to bring on our next guest. She and her mom are joining us from literally across the globe. So that's crazy. Yeah. I don't know how we reached that far, but the internet is crazy. But we are going to introduce them and they're going to tell their story. Are you ready for it? Like I said, I'm not sure I am.
1: um, (laughs) You can't back out now. (laughs) I know, but it's just I know it's going to be hard. I'm sure it's got to be hard on them, too. So it's got to be hard because you know exactly what they went through.
0: Yeah, exactly. So get them tissues ready. Ours are ready. (laughs) We have them close. And without further ado, we'd like to introduce you to our first guests. I'm excited to have other perspectives on here to share their story. When we first did this, I was not expecting us to reach the other side of the world immediately. And somehow we did. And I gave a shout out to this lovely lady, Kelly, in episode eight, because she has been just a legacy listener. And I was really hesitant because I know how recent her story is. But I was also like, if she wants to do this, I'm going to give her this platform. Mm -hmm. So I want to start with the fact that you wanted to, or you asked me if Granny Rhea can join. And I want to step back from this as well and just say, if anyone had said that my mom couldn't join, it was going to, like, this just wasn't going to happen. So I already felt like we connected with you guys because, you know, the relationship you have is, to me, sounds already strong. But... If we can start with Granny Rhea, if she's if she's interested, we just want to hear your story first and just, you know, what was it like becoming a parent and then a grandparent? Oh, gosh. Going
2: right back there. <laughs> um, becoming a parent's amazing. Kelly has an older brother, two years older, and then his birth wasn't easy. So then when Kelly came along, I was really scared, but she just popped out <laughs> very easily. Thank goodness.
0: Sure. <laughs> The easy kid. kid. You must be the youngest.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Actually, Kelly was very like Charlie. She was hodgy, had rolls upon (laughs) rolls. But apart from some sleeping issues, she was such a good baby. So easy to toilet train and she was such a little girl. You know, the little dresses and dress-ups and dolls and... And and Brad, her brother, was completely opposite. He was the typical boy, always falling over, always hurting himself. We started counting stitches in his life because he was always doing things that <laughs> needed stitching.
1: That's a typical boy. Though. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: being a parent just was fabulous. Teenage years aren't fun, but um, and. <laughs> And they both went through the same stages at the same time. I
3: so dread that. <laughs> they had, they had pay back when Harvey's like, yeah.
2: you know, he was 18, she was 16, and he was slow and she was quick at developing. So, <laughs> so we had the same things happening at the same time. It was quite funny. Awesome. But you know, they've both grown up into such beautiful adults and, you know, both very happy. And we're very lucky to have a great son-in-law and son who's met a lovely lady and she's amazing. So as in-laws, You know, we're just really lucky. You hear so many stories about, you know, difficulties with in-laws and we've just never had it. So we're very lucky. Excellent. And then the grandchildren came along. So Harvey, number one, who was very exciting to have our first grandson, and then Charlie, number two. There was something about Charlie that grabbed my heart Mm -hmm. and we were living interstate at the time. We moved from here, interstate, when Kelly was... 2021 20, and lived up there for 16 years. And when Charlie was born, there was just, it hit home that we need to move back here. We were close to retirement and we we're sort of thinking, what, what do we do? We can't keep traveling back and forth. You know, Kelly and our son Brad, they're sort of very stable. So we thought, let's just move back. And so that's what we did. And then oh we had just such a lovely time with the two grandchildren with us. We were um, house sitting at a hobby farm. And so they did their first sleepovers with us. And um, it was just it was just beautiful. They loved, you know, the chickens and as Harvey calls them, chickens. <laughs> and um, <laughs> And you know, they just they just ran around the farm and they were both into cooking and we made, you know, cupcakes and iced the cakes and
0: It was just such a beautiful time. And then Charlie sort of became unwell. If I can interrupt really quickly and back up just a little bit and maybe go over to Callie, because you had mentioned in one of the comments that there were some similarities with Charlie being colic as a baby. So share, share a little bit about... So Jess had shared that when she was pregnant with her two kids, her first pregnancy was very different from her second one. Her first one, she was... Burgers and fries and being pregnant. And then her second one, super healthy. So my question for you was, did you have similarities in pregnancies? Or, you know, was there something indicative of why Charlie was colicky as a baby? Or was it any different from Harvey? Or can you share some of that a little bit? So
3: with both my boys, I worked out um, crazy going to the gym every day up until 38 weeks with both of them. But with Harvey, I was eating a lot of KFC chips. Um, Um, Just anything salty. And actually I had been off gluten for seven years. Wow! And so when I was pregnant with Harvey, I was sneaking little bits of gluten and realized that I actually could eat it again, which was amazing. So I was also eating a lot of the I was (laughs) pregnant with him, but that carried through with both of them. And with Charlie, it was garlic bread, Mm. but I put on 20 kilos, put on that with Harvey and so, with Charlie, I was determined to not put on the same amount because I didn't want to have to, you know, lose it afterwards. Sure. And Harvey also ended up in an emergency C section because my boys have big heads. Mm. <laughs> um, that, that's not getting out there. So, um, so, both the boys came out the sunroof, as we call
0: it. <laughs> um,
3: and Charlie's was elective and it was the easiest birth. It was just so, you know, it was all planned and it was all exactly how I wanted it to be. And we were in and out within an hour. And, you know, like two days later, I'm like, I'm going home now. And same with Harvey. I just said, how soon can I get out of here? So they let me out pretty quick. But Harvey was just, he fed perfectly. He slept perfectly. He was never Chucky at all. He might have like little tiny burp spews, but other than that, it was nothing. Whereas Charlie still fed perfectly, but never really slept as well as Harvey did. But he was like a spewy baby. We would walk in there <laughs> and it was like an exorcism. Like the oh, room oh was covered in spew. And... We had a lot of those, whereas we didn't have anything like that with Harvey. Like only wow. he picked up something from childcare. Wow. So, you know, this was very different for us and not what we were used to. But we never thought of anything of it. I went off lactose, and as soon as I went off lactose, That's it stopped. What we do
1: with Jess too. Yeah.
3: So listening to you know Jess's story, I was just like, "Hold on, that happened with us. Yeah, is this connected to cancer?" Right. Right. Or if it's just, you know, baby spew.
0: Right. You know? Right. You don't
3: know. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, so I really related to that. And when listening, I was like,
0: that that happened to me. Definitely something to look into. And I can say early when we were looking into... How she came down with Wilms' tumor, it was what attributed to that. And so we would rack our brain with, what was it? Oh, sh- this was the baby that, you know, had a lactose issue or was uncomfortable with a ton of it. So, And we would find things that was common in a lot of stories. So yeah. definitely yeah. something for us to explore a little bit more, too, to see what's out there that might indicate with these symptoms that it's something indicative of something more. Yeah. 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 Interesting. You
3: know, I always kind of had... A feeling. I did a treatment in the salon, which is something you shouldn't do when you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And I said to my friend, I'm not pregnant. It's okay. We can do this as long as you're not either. And so we did it. And the week after, I found out I was pregnant with Charlie. Oh wow! So I always look back on that, and I think, you know,
1: could but it be that?
3: Can't do. It. And then I also started making resin jewelry around the same time as when I was coming near the end of my pregnancy with him. And there was one day that I stupidly finished one of them with him on my lap, and I was working with resin at the same time. And I always beat myself up about it, but wow. you know that that's not no, why he got. That's, that's so interesting
0: because. I'm sure the whole going back into history and thinking about all the things that we could have or should have or you know, shouldn't have done. And I'm sure it was none of that. I'm sure it was just yeah. like back when yeah. my mom was pregnant, they drank,
1: they smoked, they all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. I know it was yeah. common yeah. to do that and yeah. we didn't end up with anything. Yeah. So it's yeah. weird to yeah. think that. Yeah. But you do yeah. go back and you start thinking,
0: Right what did you, you wanna, do? What you did wanna, I do? Yeah. What caused it? exactly yeah exactly you want you want
3: some kind of answer right you want to read yeah. to it you know right. we've also got seven of us that went to high school all within a matter of six years and we've all had kids that have had leukemia
1: God. so what have you guys found i mean it's a connection somehow right
3: well communicable diseases don't agree they said they're different types of leukemia they're not related oh. but then you think of Aaron brockovich don't you and you just right. like
1: that's it exactly
3: you know, right. they were different types of cancer yeah, but we live a very clean and a very great area. So it's not you know machinery or factories or anything like that around us well, to you know think that there could be something in the right. ground. It literally is just luck of the draw, and that these things are happening more often than what.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I think maybe
3: because we're aware of them. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's like you buy a new car, all of a sudden you see that car everywhere. Yes. You, know, you get a kid. It's true. One hundred percent. You see cancer everywhere. Yep.
1: So let me, can I share a story? One of the other patients was another little girl that had Wilms tumor. And she had an identical twin sister that didn't have Wilms tumor. How does that happen?
0: Yeah, and it was supposed to be something that developed in utero. Yes. Both
1: of them should have. Both of them should have had it because they were identical. And they even said, like, wherever one went, the other one was. It wasn't like one went to Disneyland or went fishing without the other one. Yeah. They were exposed to exactly the same things in utero mm-hmm. and when they were alive. And only one of them yeah. got diagnosed
0: with it. Very interesting. So tell us a little bit more how Charlie was as a baby pre-diagnosis. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was um, so happy. He was just,
3: he was always smiley and he was always happy and he just went along with everything and just you know, thought that his brother was just the best thing in the world. And um, yeah, he was just always so happy and always wanted to do everything, which was so different to Harvey. He was so shy and, you know, very standoffish with things and didn't want to go into loud areas or, or crowds or anything like that, whereas Charlie's just like, Oh, I can do this. Awesome. Which you know, it's quite similar to my husband and I as well. I, You know, I don't like walking in the door on my own to something. But once I had kids, I was like, well, I've got my kids to walk in with. So I wasn't <laughs> scared of it anymore. Uh-huh. But I love I love people. I love being around people. Whereas my husband is quite a homebody. We're both homebodies, but he likes, you know, his quiet time. Sure. And so I guess, you know, Charlie's a lot more like me. And, you know, Harvey's a lot more sort of like Mike. So yeah. it was interesting seeing myself in this baby, you know, he's got my eyes and, you know, being able to actually see myself in them because, you know, the first one comes out looking like your husband (laughs) and uh, you're like, where am I in this? (laughs) So it was, yeah, just having those connections with him and he loves music and art and you know which is all like I'm very creative and always have been so it was so nice to be able to share moments like that with him yeah and just be really connected to him but he didn't like sleeping (laughs) we were up a lot during the night with him but otherwise he was just chilled
0: out so I want to talk about sort of the diagnosis story so how and when did you know something was up That something was not right. I mean, you can tell the story. There was something you found in his eye. Lead us into that. Was there a change in energy? What led to that? So we've had to look
3: back on it and sort of notice, you know, things have pointed together. But around his 12-month vaccinations, we went in to go and have his vaccinations done, but he was quite sick at the time and he had four different viruses all at the same time and the doctor's like this is really coincidental but he had I think he had herpes of the mouth he had an ear infection he had a chest infection and something else all at the same time and so we held off on the vaccinations and then two weeks later we went back and he was like he was better but he wasn't 100% and so we did them and all was fine. But from about 12 months, he always had a weeping eye. And we just thought that we'd got sunscreen in his eye and he was allergic to the sunscreen. And so I never put two and two together until a girlfriend actually said a month ago, you know, remember his eye was always watering beforehand. I never realized it was Mm -hmm. the same eye. I just assumed it was both from sunscreen and we changed the sunscreen and we didn't seem to have it. But you look back on photos between the 12 and 14 months of age and his eyes are really watery through all that time. So it actually started earlier than, you know, what we picked up on. But at the 14 months is when we noticed this lesion on his eye. So on the white of his eye, there was this red, almost looked a bit like a raised scratch. Mm. And we took him to our GP after probably about, two or four weeks just going well this isn't going away just thought You know, he's just got irritated eyes. They'll go away. And it was still there. So we took him to the GP and the GP said I was at work at the time. So my husband took him and he said to my husband, I assure you, it's nothing. Of course. But let's go and see the eye specialist and see what they say. They'll book you in and I'm sure you won't get in for six weeks. And by that time, it will be gone. I'm sure it's just some kind of conjunctivitis or, you know, something along those lines. Something more
0: common. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
3: So we sent the email. I think about a week later, you know, we sent the email to try and book in and they just went, child, lesion, I, come in straight away. So they got us in and he was, yeah, like 13 months at the time. Wouldn't sit still all the tricks in the book that she was trying (laughs) with him and he just wouldn't stay still. So yeah, she just said, look, we're going to try this ointment and see how we go. And if the ointment doesn't clear it up in two weeks, we're going in for surgery and we're going to put him to sleep and we're going to take a bite. We're going to have a look at it while he's asleep. And if it looks bad, we'll take a biopsy and we'll do a full set of bloods. So two weeks later, hadn't cleared up, went in for theatre and being the first ever time you've had your child put to sleep. It's just awful and you know I was so scared to go on my own my dad came along with me so that I at least you know had someone there as well while you're waiting for him to wake up as well and went in there and held him and they put his mask on and I just had tears running down my face and you know leaving him in there with someone else to look after is just the hardest thing to do and you know the nurse pats me on the back and says you did good mum and (laughs) you know okay with he's safe he'll be okay don't worry right we've got him and you know I think he was under for about two hours and then as he was waking up the doctor said I need you to come into my office for a minute and we need to talk and so she took me in there and she said look the way that the lesion is moving if he was an 80 or 90 year old I would say that he's got leukemia or lymphoma but he's a baby and he's a very healthy looking baby, 98% or something around that percent chance that it's not that. And so we're like, okay, well, that's pretty scary, but also 98% chance it's not. So we're fine. I said, you need to write this down for me though, because I'm not going to oh, remember it. Yes.
0: Oh, yes. I need
3: you <laughs> to write it down. And actually, you know, I even got it wrong until I'd read it myself anyway. So thankfully, <laughs> you
0: don't
3: you. She'd written it down so that I just took a photo and sent it to my husband. I was like, this is what they're saying. What the heck? Like, this is ridiculous. And so about three days later, she rang me and she said, bloods are perfect. We're really happy. You know, I just wanted to give you some peace of mind. His bloods look fantastic. And then we went back a week later for his proper results. We found out that 98% chance that it wasn't leukaemia. So we just thought, we've got this, it's fine. You know, nothing to worry about. But they'd spoken to the children. Hospital and the children's hospital said, we want him to have a full workup. He needs to have x-rays and ultrasound of all his um, internal organs, just to make sure.
0: Whoa. So it went from just doing an eye lesion, it was no big thing, to now we're checking his entire body. Was that a red flag yeah. for you? Um, no. No, okay.
3: I think I was in so much shock. I don't know. I think we were freaking out during the week, but they'd rung us and said his bloods were perfect. Right. right. That you know, we wanted to give you that peace of mind. His bloods are perfect, so don't worry, and we'll see you next week, and we'll talk about everything else. But when we got there, they had said that the lesion um, did have abnormal white blood cells. Still, I didn't know what any of this meant. Right. Now I do. Right. (laughs) But at the time, I was just like, okay, I don't know what that means. So we, yeah, we were there for five hours and had all these different tests done. And when we got to have the tests done, they were like, we don't even know why you're here. You know, like they were all, it was all really weird and all really hard and trying to get a 14 month old at the time by the stage we'd had the eye checked, he wouldn't sit still. Like, thankfully for iPads, you know, to be able to, like, have something playing on there. But to hold a 14-month-old still for his first ever, you know, x-rays and ultrasounds Um, is just... And the ultrasound took 40 minutes, I think, Mm -hmm. to do. So to have him sit still for 40 minutes (laughs) is just crazy. Right. And because he's very, very, very active. So, yeah, it was all four of us. Like, my husband and my other son, Harvey, were all there together because this was meant to be a half an hour meeting I mean like we were meant to be in and out and we're still there and boys haven't had lunch they haven't had anything to eat all day we'd been out all morning we'd done a school visit and a kidney visit to check them all out ready so we've been out since nine o'clock in the morning and by five o'clock in that afternoon they just said look to us he looks like a healthy young boy go home and we will call you and let you know when the results come in so we got a call that night to say that his liver and spleen were excessively large or I think at that time it was the spleen and I didn't know what this meant and they said you know like don't worry everything's okay at the moment you don't need to be worried but we just wanted to let you know and my husband googled and he's like he's got leukemia oh my god
0: oh my gosh. Google and could be the worst when you're trying to figure out something ahead of the doctors and the full final results Google can be the yeah. worst
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> they rang us and they said oh we just want to let you know there's been a mistake made they were they were measuring the spleen they wrote down the measurement in the wrong you know centimeters instead of millimeters or vice versa. So mm. it's not as big as what we thought it was. It's actually, it's large, larger than normal, but it's not excessively large. And in our minds, we're like, how can you get that so wrong? Right? Yes. You yes know, like, I think you're questioning yourself. Once we found out, you know, down the track that he did have leukemia, we were like, maybe they actually didn't get that wrong. And they mm. were questioning it because it was so bad. Yeah. You know, like you shouldn't be able to feel it under your ribs, but his was like, you know, down to his hip. Wow. A lot of, and so They just said, look, we're just going to check him and we'll be keeping a close eye on him until he's six years old. So they knew what they were waiting for. We didn't. We didn't know that that they're waiting on it to show itself, I guess. Wow. So I think we're now up to 15 months old by this stage and we're going in for a checkup and we go and see the paediatrician and his glands are swollen. I was oblivious, but he had golf balls under there.
0: Oh my gosh.
3: So cubby? I didn't even <laughs> notice him. And she was just, I was like, he's just a bit snotty. I just thought he had a little bit of a cold. Yeah. And she said, his glands are quite large. Let's put him on antibiotics and we'll see how we go. Harvey's allergic to penicillin. So I didn't want her giving him penicillin. Any other type of antibiotic, that's fine. And so what they gave him was the best possible, but it still had a small amount of penicillin in it. Mm. So a week later, Charlie's body is covered in rash. And I have freaked out and I've gone to the doctor. And I said, it's the penicillin rash. It looks the same as what Harvey had. Yeah. And the doctor said, I'm not sure. I don't think it looks like a penicillin rash. And she said, he's breathing faster than normal. Have you noticed that? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't know how many breaths a minute they're meant to take. Sure. Age, it was meant to be, you know, 30 to 40 and he was taking 60. Wow. And I was like, but he doesn't look like he's struggling. He was busy playing in the play corner with his brother so I didn't think anything of it and then the next morning she said just keep an eye on him and you know overnight we were watching his breaths and I was even like on the monitor staring and going and listening and listen like watching his breaths going and counting them in the middle of the night as well because I just couldn't relax about it and the next morning he was so docile he couldn't stay awake he um was breathing really rapidly fast and I rang the GP and I said what do I do and she said I think you should just go straight to hospital I said I don't want to be one of those parents that goes to emergency when their child doesn't need to I don't want to put pressure on the system so I went to the GP and as I drove to the GP and I pulled into the car park I just went I should be at the hospital Um, and I went in still and I sat down and I waited for her and she came out to me and I said I need to be at the hospital don't I she did his tests and his oxygen and counted his breaths and everything. She said, I'm calling ahead, yes, go to emergency and I'll let them know you're coming. And we got there and they took us straight into one of the isolation rooms and gave him Ventolin and he was great, he was fine. And my husband came in and swapped, I had to work that day. So he came in and swapped and by that stage, we were out onto the normal emergency rooms rather than in the recess room. And they were just testing him with his water intake to make sure that he was keeping it down. He wasn't going to throw it up so that we could go home. So this is midday. We swap over and I go to work and I get my first color on for the day. And my husband rings me and he says, the doctor's just come in and 70% chance Charlie has leukemia. And I was like, I have a client with color on her head. I cannot leave this client with colour on it. And uh, he said, "Look, you just have to be here by five o'clock because then we're moving to the kids' hospital." So we waited. I got his mum to come and pick me up, so I was able to finish my client and even fit in the cut that was in between her. So I got a couple of—I don't even know how I did it. I just went into like focus on work, and that takes my mind off what's going on. Absolutely. And uh, Yeah, my mother-in-law dropped me down at the hospital and went in there and. He said, yep, he's got leukemia, but he said some other type of leukemia. And then about half an hour later came in and said, actually, the women's and kids hospital don't agree, but they'll see you when you get there. So in our minds, we were like, hold on, he's got leukemia. No, he doesn't have leukemia. Maybe he doesn't have leukemia and maybe they've got this wrong. Yeah. And by this stage, he was back in the resus room and he had oxygen on and he ended up, he had pneumonia. And so we got to the women and kids, got transferred over there in ambulance and they moved us up into ICU pretty much straight away. And they did a bone marrow biopsy the next morning, the next day, I think. I
2: think most of it was
3: done the next day. Yeah. So this was all on the Thursday and the Friday They did a bone marrow biopsy, lumbar puncture and put in a neck line. He was too sick for them to actually channel it down into his chest to have his CDC put in. But they, yeah, so they put it in his neck to begin with. I remember that they had to check to see if the tubes went down to his heart correctly to make sure it was in the right position. Right. And they had to move them. And mum happened to be there at the time. And I was just like, I don't do blood oh (laughs) you are here you go in I can't do this you know um and so mum was there with him while they moved it and re-stitched it so I think i would be sick if I saw that and now I'm fine like I can deal with anything now but at that moment I was just like uh, uh, I'm tapping out of this this.
2: that's where Molly's come in (laughs) Kelly's not a needle blood person (laughs) I'd do it But now, i can now, now she's
3: i now give blood because of charlie love it mm-hmm. but, uh, i can't do that stuff so we and we started chemo that night wow and his results came back and he had 90 something percent leukemia cells in his bone marrow
0: oh my god
3: so in a month he'd gone from nothing his perfect bloods to 98% to total leukemia cells.
0: -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about the type of cancer it is? And it sounds like it's a pretty aggressive bone marrow cancer. Educate us because I'm not entirely familiar with it.
3: Acute myeloid leukemia. So it's very uncommon in kids. It's a lot more common in adults and elderly, but it is also immature cells. So in a child, it's very hard to see immature cells when they have immature cells. Right. Whereas in the elderly, their cells, it's very obvious the difference. Right easier to treat in elderly for that reason but it also it's how they cope with it so you know their bodies can't take as much as what the kids can take right if that makes sense right so with the kids the chemo can't actually search it out perfectly so wow. often there's are hiding and relapse and is very common and 40% relapse in the first year wow yeah
0: yeah so
2: <laughs>
0: take so, a big breath yeah I mean that is a lot to take in in such a short amount of time. And what a lot of people don't realize is, and we've talked about this, how uneducated you are with all of these big words, all of these new terms, oh, and yeah. you're just expected to digest it, and you're just supposed to say, okay, go ahead and treat my child with whatever, you're, whatever you've diagnosed, but you know nothing about it. So you're, you're basically shooting uh-huh. in the dark, hoping that whatever they are telling you needs to happen Is happening and happening correctly, right? Like, you don't have the time to do the research. You don't have the time to sit and think about it, which I think Jess had shared, too. Like, you're just going, okay, and things have to move fast, right? Because they're trying to get it quickly and so that it doesn't spread and and grow so fast and aggressively, if that's what you're treating. Yeah. Goodness gracious! So, how are you doing when all of this is happening? I mean, you're focused on Charlie, of course, his well-being, but how are you doing when all this is happening?
3: I think we're in so much shock. And when, like, his oncologist came in and told us that, you know, like, yes, it is, and this is what's happening, and you know, here's the paperwork you've got to sign, you know, that this is what we're going to do. And there was one of the drugs which was a trial drug, but it's a heart protectant. So she said, "Yes, it is a trial drug." but we don't recommend not doing it you know like you need to do this and you know that drug is amazing because his heart through the entire thing was perfect he never had wow. any issue you know even up till after transplant and he had he had heart tests his heart was perfect wow and he had had well and truly over the amount of this one drug that does you know it's too much on the heart he'd had too much of it but his heart was still perfect because of this mm. drug. So wow. I think it might not be a trial anymore. It's been yeah. two years. Yeah. But when she came in and she told us, I just lost it and said, how do we tell Harvey? Yeah. I, you know, I couldn't think of anything else other than Harvey. How do we tell him that this friend we told him is coming along when we had a baby and he's now like at an age where they can play together, mm. that he's going to lose his best friend. And this doesn't happen to us, you know, we're good people. Yeah. Why does this happen to good people? That's you know, it. That's
1: exactly what we said.
0: Yeah. yeah. So did I understand correctly that when he was diagnosed, you knew he wouldn't survive right away? I
3: don't know. I think we just looked it up and we were hopeful that he would survive, but he was so, so, so sick. Mm. Those few days, you just look at him and he just, he'd gone from playing two days earlier to lying in the bed, pretty much asleep all the time and just lethargic and all he was so skinny wasn't he he was just yeah but just looking at him you thought how and because we're in ICU and we were in this enclosed room because he had no immune system Mm -hmm. so we were locked in this like fishbowl box kind of thing you know no one could come in anyone that came in had to wear a mask and I think we just thought well our kid's got cancer he's not gonna survive this I think we just didn't know what it was
2: God. I think for me, I felt differently as a nurse, you know, I was working with oncology, cancer. Oh, so you have some
0: experience. With, you had some. And I work in clinical
2: trials. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I never really lost hope. But now I don't like this percentage business anymore. You know, if someone says 95% chance, I go, yeah, but what about the 5%? Yes. Because yes. Charlie fell in that 5%. Yes. And um, and so I, I hate percentages. Now. I'm
0: you know, with you. I'm with you. We've
3: got a family that we met in transplant and she just said, we tell them we don't want no percentages. We Mm -hmm. want to know whether he's got it or he doesn't.
1: That's all we
2: needed. And the hospital that Charlie was in, I worked there many years before. Wow. And when Charlie's doctor walked in and I went, oh my goodness, I know this person. And we both looked at each other and went, I can't believe we're meeting this way. And I thought, you know, if anyone's going to save Charlie, she's the most amazing, amazing oncologist. That is amazing. She's going to do it. She just got
3: us. She got us from where it go. She was
2: was amazing. Absolutely amazing. She's
3: honest honest. with us the whole time. So honest. So
0: important.
2: Yeah.
3: And it was, you know, like the morning that I went to the hospital, I dropped Harvey off at my in-laws because I thought I just need, you know, Mike had gone to work and I dropped Harvey off at my in-laws because I just knew that, I don't know, maybe I just had this gut feeling about it. And so we hadn't seen him for two days. And then everyone came and met us at the hospital. We met in the playground at the hospital so that we could you know, Harvey wasn't coming into ICU and everyone was running, you know, like, you know, that everyone wanted to hug us and cry and everything. And all I just wanted, I was just like, that's great, but I just need to be here for him right now. <laughs> yeah. Everyone get off me. Yes. That's why yes.
0: I need him. 100%. <laughs> and, Nothing uh, else matters yeah. at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <No>. And it <laughs> no. was just all
3: about Harvey and making sure he was okay. And he didn't know what was going on. Right. All his family is crying around him. Yeah. He doesn't know why they're crying. Right. And so Mike and I had to try and explain to him what was going on, but we didn't know ourselves. Right. Know? Like,
0: yeah. And you have to, yeah. the added layer in that is explaining it to him in a way that he can understand because he's so young, right? As adults will say cancer and to a kid, what does cancer mean? You know, is it a good thing? Is it a bad mm. thing? You know, it could be anything. So part <sighs> of the challenges is cancer. Being able to communicate to a child in a way that the co- child can understand. I don't know how you do that with cancer.
3: I guess because that was the first thing I said to Heather, Charlie's oncologist. And she just said, look, we've got a really good book. But also she said there is a book that explains that this is killing the weeds to make room for the flowers to grow. Oh. And so that was the analogy that we use with him a lot and just said look you know it's just like daddy out in the garden you know he's killing off all the weeds to make room for the flowers to grow wow and we were then um our first day up on the ward the nurse that took us up there I was talking to him about it and he said I've got this book and he brought this book in and it was about you know my brother's got leukemia and Goes to transplant and everything as well, and we were Harvey and I are reading it together, and we got to the end. He goes, "Mummy, is this when the flowers grow?" And Aww. I was like, "Yes, buddy." Yes, it is. <laughs> so you know, for yeah, for a three-year-old to take on all of that as well and understand it, he's just—he's so resilient now. Oh as yeah. Well. Oh yeah. Last year he was teaching all his friends all these like chemo drugs. Oh. <laughs> his- He comes home talking about, you know, like all toilet humour with his friends. But his (laughs) friends are going home going, hey, do you know what Venetoclax is? And, And yeah, my my friend, um, she messaged me and she was like, pretty sure he learnt this one from Harvey.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. So after initial diagnosis... There was a, a treatment plan. You guys did all of that. How did it yeah. go? So
3: he was in remission after round one. He did really well with it. Mm. There were moments, you know, like in the first couple of weeks, you know, when losing his hair like that, being a hairdresser. Oh, <laughs> very hard to see my child lose his hair and then to shave it off as well you know like it was just there was too much coming out that we shaved it and yeah it was so emotional shaving his poor little head off and and he was such a cute like baldie. He, <laughs> he was, was
2: he's cute. the cutest baldie ever but he
3: was always like <laughs> he was always the cheeky one he was already walking before mm. this all happened so he was the one he was running down the halls and he was squealing <laughs>
0: and,
3: like all the doctors and nurses just adored him because he just was so much fun all the time and He just complied with everything. You know, he was okay with having, you know, like his blood pressure taken and he would give them his finger to have his like oxygen done. And yeah, he was just easy and he did really well through all of it. And his oncologist was so proud of us that the house was the most sterile place you could be. (laughs) Yes. Um,
0: This is before COVID. (laughs) Right. Right. Where it was easy to find the antibacterial stuff and the wipes and everything. Yes.
3: Work in a warehouse that stopped Ooh, wow that's good so we get this delivery to the front door and it's a pedestal oh my gosh and <laughs> <That's> like hundreds <laughs> of like you know, small sanitizers and then the refills and everything. So no one could walk in our house with shoes on right? and without sanitizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only our immediate family. Yes. We had no one else come to the house. Yes. And normally in AML, you don't get to go home. Oh. You, because in those two weeks after chemo, so we had, you know, each chemo round was different. It would go from 10 to 8 to 5 or something like that. But it was a 30-day cycle. And, yeah, those two weeks of recovery he had no neutrophils whatsoever, so he had no immune system. Mm. Couldn't even let him outside because yeah. if he touched it and put it in his mouth, he might get a disease or something. So we had enclosed our back balcony and we had a table there with magic sand so at least he oh. could be outside I'm and sure. touch yeah. it. And we had blue sand everywhere. <laughs> 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 but it meant that he could play and right. he could still be Sure. And that was the hardest part. Like we ripped out all these things that, you know, he was so used to. He loved putting mud in his mouth. He was he was the messy play kid, <laughs> but he wasn't allowed to do any of this stuff. And all he wanted to do was go outside on the bikes and, you know, like stuff around with his brother or, you know, we'd just built the McCubbie for his first and Harvey's third birthday and he got to use it for three months, and then he wasn't allowed in there anymore. Wow. Hmm. So we had four months of that. And then I think month three, they kind of said to us, we've now got the results back on his particular type of AML. So under AML, there's all these different subtypes of it. And so his mutation was something that was very unknown. And his oncologist went to a seminar, especially on AML for him. Wow. And she said, it's come back and it says that he's actually high risk. So he's no longer low or medium risk, whatever he originally was. He's now high risk and protocol says he needs to go to transplant. So my husband, Mike and I, we did a lot of, he did a lot of research. I'm the hold the fort, you know, I'm the one that holds everything together. He's the researcher. And he just said, there's no difference in going to transplant to doing another round of chemo. From what we can find in all the paperwork, and his oncologist was in agreement with us. She said, "Yes, that's fine. We won't go to transplant. We will do this other round, which had this special drug that goes around and picks up all the last little bits to make sure there's no, you know, cells left there." And yeah, so we decided against transplant at that time, and I think round. Three or four. Every round, he would always end up back in there with a fever and Mm. some kind of viral infection. It was just bound to happen. Harvey was still at childcare, so he was always bringing something home, but we had to try and keep it apart quite a bit. Um, But round four, he ended up back in hospital. I think we might not have even left at the end of the round because he ended up with sepsis. Mm. And he was just totally, totally blown up. He had fevers between 40 and 42 for an entire week that they couldn't get control of. And they were really worried about him. And I was like, Hey, he's going four hours between fevers now, whereas he wasn't being able to actually control them. So I'm like, he's getting better. I can see it happening. And they're mm-hmm. all freaking out. They're all like, we're going to lose him. He's, you know, like, they're really, really worried. And I'm like, I know my kid, I know he's fine. Sure. Yeah." And he got through it and those four hours spread out to six hours to eight hours to you know like to the fetus being gone. But he just he just lived in a nappy only that week. He just was like mm. you know, and it, he would tolerate having a flannel on his head, whereas normally he'd just be like, Mm-mm, I want. that. <laughs> <laughs> Then like we got the official remission results, which I think was like around three that you have to have two rounds of clear bone marrows. And by Christmas that year, he'd finished treatment. So that was, you know, six months in total. And Mike and I managed to work through all of it. My mother-in-law quit work to help us out and mum and dad were (laughs) back here as well so um you know all all they were focused on was us keeping our jobs and keeping you know me keeping my business going as well and yeah so he got to ring the bell and he got his line taken out one of my clients works in theatre so she would always pull strings to make sure that we were at the top of the list oh Like uh, New Year's Day, he had his line taken out and he was on the emergency list. Um,
0: so I might cut not- this out if this is going to get anybody in trouble. Yeah,
3: <laughs> no, no. Her boss knows. It's all good. Okay. <laughs> um, but she'd also bring us coffee every morning. So, you know, because we couldn't leave him because he was on, like, attached to lines constantly. Right. You right. can't leave him right. because he might rip it out or right. something. You know, you just don't know or... You know, the only time we could leave him was when he was asleep because we knew he always had a two-hour sleep in the Mm -hmm. middle of the day. So he knew you had time to get down and back before he woke up. Yeah, so then we just thought let's sneak in a birthday for him. His birthday is the 25th of January. So we had this very last-minute birthday very last minute cake that I just bought from the shop and bought things and put it on top and my friend that was a cake maker made a giraffe for us and we stuck that on top and we just had two lots of our friends come as well as our family and it was just so nice to be able to celebrate you know that we got through this pretty easy you know like we only had six months of this
2: Mm, we thought we were there didn't we
3: we were like we we got off really lucky with this didn't Mm. we and there was no feeling that he would ever relapse. We yeah. just never, ever thought that that would happen. And we had a couple of amazing months and then COVID happened. Yeah. So March came around and everything locked down. And so we had to organize all these catch-ups with friends because we hadn't seen anyone for, you know, six months. Yeah. We thought, let's make the most of this now that he can get out and do stuff. And then that happened and we were shut at home. Thankfully we've got a big backyard so the boys could still play but he just yeah he missed out on having a childhood Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then as soon as everything opened back up again we're really lucky where we are it was like six weeks and we like (laughs) yeah (laughs) we had about 400 cases in total in south australia where yeah. we live wow we everyone lives quite spread out here so it didn't spread quickly wow at all.
0: i think we we're being in la we were like the worst in the entire world yeah. <laughs> yeah. i could tell you and it was bad
1: <laughs> yeah
3: i know i've got a friend in san diego and we talk a lot about um what's going over there and yes yeah, just, i can imagine how tough it is for you guys yeah so um yeah and then he relapsed in COVID. He out the blue like Mm. his bloods were perfect he had monthly bloods and they were all perfect like the last two months are amazing and then he was able to start his vaccination catch-ups so we did that and then two weeks later he had his next lot of bloods on the same day as his next lot of vaccinations and those bloods his platelets had completely plummeted Mm. and his oncologist rang me and she said I'm so sorry. We should have told you because here was, they were done on Friday and no one looked at them until the Monday. Normally wow. they look at them within 48 hours, which is kind of good. We had friends over and we had a barbecue and it's kind of, you know, our last hurrah, I guess. And, Charlie got to go to a birthday party the week before and, yeah, she just said, I'm so sorry, but I need you to come in. We need to do a bone marrow straight away. Hopefully it's just a virus, but I just need to check and make sure and his bone marrow was back up in the 90%. And so that was, yeah, five months. Five months of freedom. (laughs) Yeah, five months of freedom
2: and... Memories. That's really, like, through the whole journey up until that stage Charlie's amazing like he when he f- was first diagnosed I thought we were going to lose him but then you know he started his chemo and then the next morning he goes I want toasts with Vegemite so, and the whole time you know or, or but but or butt. peanut, butter. peanut oh. butter, butter Charlie so the boys loved the homemade bread that I make so that it would be I want granny Rhea's bread with butt butt. Oh. So, so, I, whenever I went in to visit, I always had to bring bread with me because he wanted the
0: granularia bread. Did whatever he, to make them smile. He wouldn't eat anyone yes. else's bread. Yes. Mine was good. Yes.
3: So the time he ate potassium was really low, and that day he decided he needed to eat eight bananas. <laughs> or five bananas, so Five bananas. And so they, um, they didn't have to give him a potassium infusion that day. Oh. <laughs> he was fine by the next day it's like his body just told him what it needed to do
2: yeah an amazing bouncer backer wasn't he always he'd be so sick and then he'd Bounce back, and he wants his bottle. we wants something to eat, and so he never stayed down for very yeah. long. It was just amazing.
3: And of you know, specialists and um, you know, like the art therapy and things like that, they'd come in and they'd be like, "He's out of his bed."
2: I'm like, yeah, he's always
3: out of <laughs> his bed. <laughs> he's always playing. He's always painting or doing some kind of craft or playing Lego. He doesn't sit in his bed very long at all.
0: So the he's so old. that sort of resonates with us too. I felt like whenever so we fed off of our babies energy too, right? People were looking at her like, she's she's got cancer, but she's bouncing off the walls, she's yeah. doing this, and so you're like, well, we're great too, we're not thinking about cancer either, and we're, yeah. you know, we're just yeah. soaking yeah. in all those good times because we don't know any different. She's supposed to be laying in bed right now, like really hurting? Well, that's no, nice. she's bouncing off the walls, so... Yeah, they kept saying,
3: this room sounds very happy. <laughs> There's <laughs> There's a a this room. Here. Well... We're happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've got to make happy times out right. of the, you know, the right. stuff that we're going through that's not happy. Yes. You've got to make it happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Now, I get that from clients all the time as well. And, you know, people come in and they expect you to be sad. Yes. And they look at you with this pity face. On yes. And you're like, I'm actually okay. I'm actually doing okay. Because I have to. I've got mm. another one that yeah. I have yes. to be okay
0: yes and
3: mm-hmm. you need to be happy otherwise you get lost in it
0: absolutely
3: I'm yes. just moping around and I'm, I'm not that type of person yeah no, we're
2: not <laughs> hence
3: why I'm here talking to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I mean because it's I want to be out there to do this for other people you know i because I've been so open about my journey and I've posted it all through Instagram and during transplant, I posted every single day of transplant. And, you know, I've had mums contact me and say, look, we've just gone home and we're in our last few days. Words of wisdom or what can you tell me? And I just spew out words to them. <laughs> I have got so much for them. That's why I've done it. I want to be able to be there and help other people. Mm. And that makes me feel better. And that Absolutely. makes there a reason for yes. this. It's not that there is a reason for exactly. this. Exactly, right, oh. exactly. Yeah.
0: Ooh. Thank you for joining us on our childhood cancer grief journey and sharing your grief with the griefist community. We will continue our grief journey on the next one. I love you.